fantasy blockchain games are popular. You get to put them in the App Store, but you do need to use the Apple blockchain. And what does that Don't mean? say these things, David. You're scaring me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that your reaction is, I don't want that, thank you. Yeah, man. It's like Facebook saying they're going to be building the metaverse. That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> exactly. I don't want that future. <laughs> You are listening to the 17th episode of the Metacast Roundtables. I'm your host, Nico, and today I'm joined by Aaron Bush, Matej Lancharic, and David Amor. In this episode, we will be discussing the opportunity behind blockchain games, what it's all hype about, and the rise of the creator economy. And as today's bonus segments, we're going to be doing another round of bold predictions, more specifically about the creator economy. And if you enjoy talking about games and learning about games, make sure to join our Discord and subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link for those in the description. Before we dive in, two pieces of news. First piece of news is, and this might be sad news for some of you, that a few weeks ago, our own Aaron Bush got married. So he's 100% of the market right now. Congrats, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks, Nico. <laughs> Life's changed a little bit. Yeah, man. How was your uh, honeymoon? It was good. We went to Hawaii. Um, and honestly, it was my first vacation in two years. Not only was it, you know, nice to be in Hawaii and nice to be on a honeymoon, but it was just nice to be anywhere else but yeah. <laughs> but home. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was fun. Went surfing for the first time. You know, ate lots of good food, etc. So uh, yeah, by the end, we were, we were both ready to, to get back, get situated and, you know, back to the grind on everything. Yeah, yeah, man. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but it's just so freaking far, man, from Europe. Yeah, other side of the world. Yeah, I was when I was slacking with Manu when I was there a little bit. I was like, man, we have a twelve-hour time zone difference. It, yeah. it literally is the exact opposite. So yeah, I can't can't yeah. blame you. All right, and then the second piece of news is that we just heard that our Metacost panel member Jan raised a five point two million round with his company Super Social. And they're building games on Roblox. So a huge congrats to him. It's really big. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Congrats, yeah. really nice. Right. So what's new? So Matei, still sick from last week? Yeah. I, th I still think I'm not fully recovered, but it's getting better. It's getting better. I couldn't say no right. uh, to this one. So, uh, you know. Exactly. Trying my best. You ditched us last week. So this yeah, week yeah, I would yeah, have yeah. been really no. angry. I know. I know. <laughs> no. I felt li like I'm dying uh, last week. So that's an excuse. That's, yeah. That's a pretty good <laughs> excuse. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> How about you, David? Like uh, you're you're silently building your company. What can you share right now? Uh, I, it's uh, it's blockchain based, but you probably established that already by how much you've been talking about it lately. So, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. It's interesting. It used to be the case if you make a console game that you work on it for eighteen months and well, three months before release, then you start making a song and dance about it, run some ads, that kind of thing. I don't think it works that way in blockchain games, but I'm not hundred percent confident that I understand how it works yet. Mm. So. I've got. I think I know more about how to build that product and how mm. it's going to work than I do how I'm going to market it because I'm a game maker, game maker first and foremost. So uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. When I figure that out, then I guess I'll, I'll be talking about it here as well. Yeah. Or if if someone's listening that that knows how to do this stuff, you can always reach out to David. That's true. Well, I'm eager I'd to learn to that. So uh, you know, David, you, you can always talk to me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. I mean, uh, it's an interesting one, right? Because I, I, I don't think we've really spoken about that at all. Um, 
uh, on the podcast. We haven't really got that far. We haven't launched yeah, enough true. games. So uh, it certainly exists, marketing for blockchain games, uh-huh. but uh, I think not many people have a good sense of how that works. Yeah, I think right. we briefly touched it uh, with Janie on uh, mm-hmm. one of the podcasts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But very briefly. Or clearly, David did li- didn't listen. So, yeah. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> I listened to them all. All right. With that said, let's dive into the first topic of the day blockchain games, the opportunity. So, um, there's been quite a lot of hype around blockchain games over the past months. Um, but actually, you know, the, the industry, the blockchain games industry, is still tiny today. To put things in some perspective, there are currently about 1.5 billion monthly active gamers across PC, console, and mobile. And if you compare that to the people that own a blockchain game wallet, that's only a few million at max. And uh, knowing that, over the past months, we've seen some insane blockchain game company you know, fundraises at some uh, absolutely mind-blowing valuations. To give some examples, we have Sorare that raised $680 million at a $4.3 billion valuation. Dapper Labs, $250 million at a $7.6 billion valuation. And then Forte, whose founder actually Aaron interviewed last month, uh, who raised $185 million at a $1 billion valuation. Um, and that list, I mean, keeps, keeps on going. It's really crazy. So we thought it might be, you know, insightful to have a discussion about what's happening here. Why are all these smart investors... Um, throwing down so much money uh, for companies that would be valued at like 50 times less if they weren't using blockchain. Why is everyone so bullish on this thing? Should they be so bullish on this thing? Um, yeah, let's maybe start with the reasons to be hyped. Why is everyone talking about this? David, maybe you want to you wanna kick this off. Mm, you know, uh, it's one that I have to try and explain a lot. It's quite a difficult one to get your head around, and I haven't mm-hmm. found a particularly pithy way of... Uh, describing the opportunity in a succinct, yeah, in a pithy way. So I think um, one thing I point out is that uh, it's something that clicked for me was a tweet by uh, Chris Dixon who used this phrase, your take rate is my opportunity. So you might mm-hmm. be familiar with Jeff Bezos saying your your margin is my opportunity. If you're in the habit of charging, uh, uh, trying to take a 10% margin on the thing you're selling, then I can charge five and I can win your audience, your customers. Mm -hmm. So if you transpose this to the world of blockchain games, where your take rate is my opportunity. Now, all games to date have been, if something's being sold, then it's a publisher that uh, receives all the money. And if you participate in that game, then you don't see any of that money to date. Now, I think... um, what the proposal is that in some games, right, the players share in the economy or you can participate in a way. And I think given a game where you, a comparable game where you do participate and can see some money from a from a game being played or a game that you're taking part in to one that you can't, I'm going to choose the one that I feel like I might be able to make some money from or at least there's a possibility. and um, And to be part of that side of it as well. I think that's uh, a more interesting game to take part in. Mm-hmm. I also think that we've got so used to in games that uh, when you own something, you don't really own something really. In life, if I sell you a bicycle, then you own that bicycle, but and you know that you can sell it later, you can strip it down for parts, you can give it to your sister, you can give it to charity, you can do anything you want. Of course, it's your bike. And you get a sense, I'm sure I bought it, but I'll be able to sell it again later. Or, you know, that's not how games work today. And we've got so used to thinking of it in that way that um, 
that I think that when somebody comes along and says, no, you genuinely can own it and sell it on for more money or less money, but the fact is it's yours, I think people are going to connect with that idea. Uh, so that's you know a couple of ways of explaining why I think uh, blockchain games and what that allows is uh, is more interesting than the games that we've had today. Mm-hmm. Aaron, what can you uh, add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what David said makes a lot of sense. I would break my enthusiasm about why this may be big into to three interconnected core ideas. First, uh, and to echo some of what, what David said, and even what um, you said in last week's episode, Nico, it's all about player centricity. You know, blockchain games enable true player-owned assets, which have done well, is more player-centric than most anything um, we've seen before. And there are new benefits of on-chain assets, aka NFTs. And, you know, my hunch is that the more player-centric something is, the more likely it is to eventually get adopted by players. Like, that that just makes sense to me. Um, And then second, the inclusion of player-owned assets blows up a lot of conventional game design thinking, I think. Now, I'm, I'm very much like an armchair game designer, and fortunately, I'm surrounded by people who are a lot smarter at that than I am. Um, but it's not rocket science to know that when underlying incentives change in a big way, how you think about core loops, live ops, retention, etc., must also change in a big way. And that's a challenge, but it also opens up an entirely new design space that will almost certainly lead to new game design best practices taking shape. So I think, you know, again, my hunch is that the next decade or next few years of game design innovation could very well um, center around this world of play to earn and all the interesting things that come from that. And then, you know, the the last third idea that's that's connected to those other two is that the business model implications may be larger than most expect. Um, blockchains turn player networks into player-owned economies. And, you know, if you pull a page out of Econ 101, they, they turn what was once essentially an authoritarian-driven command economy with a single gatekeeper, the the publisher or studio, into a market-based economy where open trade amongst players is made viable. And not only does that mean that the economies of the best games are likely to grow larger, perhaps exponentially larger in some cases, but value will be measured by the economies of the game's you know, through tokens and through various assets instead of being based on some forward-looking estimate of profits. So at the same time that in-game economies are going to grow, how games may be valued uh, may also change in a more favorable way uh, based on those economies that's, that's just orthogonal to how the industry operates right now. And so I don't, I don't think you know, those implications have quite sunk in and people haven't quite figured out what exactly that means or what will look like, but it is really interesting and really exciting. It'll take years to play out. It won't be everything. Um, and there will be a lot of failure at a lot of places along the way, but, um, I think it's dangerous to, to shrug it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree. But they, before, before you go, I have a okay. question for you. Okay. So let's say you launch a new game. Let's say you soft launch a new game. <laughs> what is a day ninety retention rate that you're, you know, very happy with? Day ninety. Well, in soft launch, uh, day ninety is uh, well very far uh, away metric. I'm looking. Okay, at, normal looking game. No, no soft launch. Normal game. Day ninety. Pff, a couple of percent, I guess. Let's say five, ten, which is right. already like too high. 
Five, yes. maybe. Yeah. Five. All right. I'm looking now at the chart of Axie Infinity <laughs> Day 90 retention. And I'll tell you, it is 58.22%. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, a, that's an amazing fact, but also yeah, a little just, bit wonky. Yeah, comparing because, apples to oranges. Yeah, I think so. so. Yeah, I'm excited by that number. But two things. One is those people have probably spent $1,000 to start playing. Exactly. You quit that game, are you? That's one thing. And the, and the second one, a lot of people are there for work. So they're just showing up for work on that day. How's your retention? How's your work retention, Nico? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Day ninety. You know me. You know it's not very high. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> I think that. I mean, I think Axie is working on um, embedding like a free-to-play element over time. So it'll be interesting to see how those numbers will change once there are ways to get onboarded where you don't have to pay. Thousand mm. dollars, and I, I think mm. I mean, like, actually, is working well for them, but I don't know how repeatable that is for other other games to hit the mainstream, especially in other in like developed markets. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, totally. but yeah, that's incredible. And I think it's, I saw some chart where like the 30 day and 90 day retentions are like, like the lines are basically like yeah, over almost the each same. other. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't again, I don't think it's like you can't shrug that off. There's something something there but yeah the context yeah. around that's important to, to your to your question uh to previous question uh, why is this a big deal uh well uh, again from the non-blockchain ex expertise point of view uh i think the the creativity of of the developers is uh, is really interesting thing you know the loot example you you discussed a lot on the podcast well that's a really creative mm -hmm. idea and um, and the players uh, participate participating in the game, uh, being the co-developers, and uh, and all all the the blockchain technology features, such as you know you mentioned it multiple times, smart contracts and NFTs, which I still to this day don't exactly know and what is it what it is and not fully understand how all these technology shenanigans work, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> and also why I think this is a kind of big deal is well we can't forget the investment opportunity here uh, which creates a lot of hype around the, the whole thing one analogy that i think of is uh, video sharing and youtube wouldn't be as popular as it was if it didn't give the content creators a percentage of the money that they receive you know it, if there's a parallel service where people uploaded videos and they played the same as youtube but the content creators didn't see any revenue that would not be a as popular platform so i think in a way youtube did for linear video it's sort of a, ahead of us there a little bit now it doesn't use blockchain but it still is that a is that a player owned economy or content creator owned economy but it's you know that's created a whole impetus for content creators to, to get up and try and do things that are popular, and I think that that I could see a similar kind of thing happening uh, with games. Not necessarily the current set of games; they're very very blockchain crypto centric. But I just mean more generally. I can imagine that that's the same sort of thing. People participating in their revenue streams that their content or their actions are creating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i i really like these i think these are exactly you're, you're hitting the nail on the head with the reasons we should be ex excited on the about the blockchain space um that being said now i'd like to touch upon what do we still need to prove 
uh, as a, the blockchain games industry? What are some of the risks uh, involved in, in, in the valuations that we see and, and like what could, could bring this all down still? Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, yeah, I mean, two thoughts. One, I think it's important not to get lost in the macro view because the hard work of making these things click takes place on a game-by-game -game basis. Um, mm -hmm. And even though it's you know, easy to understand why this movement is innovative, potentially creates value, and might be better for players, the early pioneers still need to wrestle with a lot of hard questions and be the first ones to figure out new best practices. I mean, David mentioned still having to figure out like how how you sell this is different than what it was with more traditional games. I think there's still a lot of questions about um, like, what does it really mean in practice to potentially hand governance control over to players? How do you avoid economic rent seeking? You know, if mm -hmm. whales were to dominate economic policy creation, like how do you determine the right level of scarcity of something like land in order to avoid in-game housing crisis? And like, what do you, like, how do you rebalance games potentially when, um, you know, players own, you know, guns, cards, items that need to be buffed or, or nerfed. You know, I, I think there are just a lot of questions that you have to, like, like really dig into the weeds to find the right answers to. And they kind of exist on a case-by-case -case basis. But that ultimately, that is what will end up with best practices. But we're not at that point yet, I think. Although I'm curious um, what, what the other guys think on that. But the second thing I would say is that, um, you know, it's really important that game teams maintain the correct north star in my opinion you know at a time when sentiment in some circles is almost getting like religious about blockchain technology it's important to remember what is worth getting <laughs> religious about is building awesome games not the technology um amazon in the 90s wasn't ideological about building an internet company bezos famously said you know in an interview like internet schminternet instead he was like focused on like he was ideological about building the world's most customer-centric retailer that in that instance mm. was made superior through using the internet as a tool. And over time, they've, you know, branched out in other ways, even beyond the internet. And I think, you know, companies and, and other industries or teams in other industries, even the games industry should learn from that. The focus here should always be on making the best possible game for players. If it's improved by using blockchain technology as a tool, awesome. If not, that's fine too. But the starting place should probably always be the game and the player, not the technology. And I think um, when there's a lot of money flying around, it's you know extra important to remember that. Yeah, and in fact, I think it's sort of skewing our view, all the money right now, because the people are diving in, not because they're necessarily fun games, but because uh, they feel they can make some money on it, which ideally you want to get to a point where there's both. And I think that you need to have a good game an engaging experience particularly in a crypto winter when things are going down not up or when new players aren't joining to uh, to keep the revenue coming in there has to be a solid game behind it for to for people to keep playing even at a time when they're not earning as much money or there's less opportunity so i think that's going to be a challenge that the blockchain games industry hasn't faced in the last year at least another one that uh, we talk about in the office is the sort of cultural nature of blockchain games is that for the audience right now is that you uh, you build them and then you uh, put the training wheels on and off you go um, draw an audience to the game but then you take these the uh, the training wheels off and you sort of 
go back to being decentralized and you say, okay, well, this is our game. Interact it with it how you want. We're, we're not going to nerf it. We're not going to touch it. In fact, we're going to throw away the keys now. This is your game. It's out there. It's decentralized. And I've never done anything like that before. You know, that's uh, to, to really, you know, fire and forget in that way in a world of live ops where we're so used to changing the, the numbers all day, every day. That's a cultural change. I, I guess maybe... We did that back in cartridge days when you would send the master off and make a lot of cartridges and then that was it. So maybe we're just going back to that time. Another challenge to to add to Aaron's is I think the the audience. The the audience is, as you said at the beginning, it's absolutely tiny. They're very, you know, a lot of whales in that audience. But the mass market has, you know, rolls their eyes when they hear about this and Mm. if they have any reaction at all. There's, there's, you know, when you think about the billions of people playing games and the Titan, as you said at the front of the show, then um, it's a, it's a tiny audience, and we expect that audience to jump through a ton of hoops to engage in the games that we're playing. That has to change. I, I mean, I think it will, but it's it, the audience is tiny right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to just uh, quickly comment on the audience as well because the audience is tiny now, but it's what mostly investors and um, guys really interested mm-hmm. in the, the crypto and not games. And uh, then the, the tier three, tier four markets that uh, actually play the, those games to, to make a living, to, to go to work. So if that, that's, that's going to be the challenge, like how to make these games, like you said, David, mass market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of that, most of these games are currently being played on proof of stake blockchains. Um, and I, it's, it's easy to forget that this technology, this proof-of-stake technology is really not that old. Um, and I feel like it might not even be like battle-tested enough and it could still be exploited. So there, I can see a world where you know, one of these super-high blockchains like Solana um, or even you know, any Layer 2 Ethereum one gets exploited um, and, and you know, people lose a lot of money there. Um, so yeah, I mean, this blockchain technology like, hasn't existed for, for 13 years yet. Uh, it's still so, so new. Um, so I guess that this, like, if there's one big risk, I feel like that that might also be uh, be up there. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking out loud. Is that any different? Do you think from new server tech? Because every couple of years we use a new piece of server tech for our online games, whether it's you know Google Cloud or you know however we build it. So we're always we're in the habit of using and testing fresh server technology. Do you think that that using blockchain is that different? I guess um, in a way it's like, for example, the Bitcoin network, you can literally calculate how much it will be worth to crack the code of Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's one of the reasons why it's, it needs to be um, using a proof of work, which has you know, passed the test of time mm-hmm. uh, for a while at least. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of these newer blockchains that are still very immature, young, being experimented on, uh, but already start containing so much value, they're you're publicly like you can see how much value you're actually able to extract if you can you know exploit the blockchain um and so i think it's 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 very um it's very related but there might like the incentives might be either like higher and on top of that maybe also even more transparent because you can see everything that's going on i feel like there's an ideology component at play too like <laughs> the like like especially early blockchain users and you know gamers who are more crypto savvy and focused. I, there's like more ideological beliefs around 
what they say they require from blockchains, you know, certain levels of decentralization, certain levels of, you know, privacy, etc. Um, and, and I have a feeling that might change, but I, it probably like it's more ideological <laughs> right now than server tech in general, if that makes any difference for, you know, yeah. winning, winning over users and like how you market yourself, etc. But, you know, uh, uh, Nassim Taleb, he wrote a great book called Skin in the Game. And one of the points in that book is that ideology is scale dependent. And one of the examples he, he used is politics, but I also think it applies to technology in the sense that if you look at the earliest movements of crypto 10 years ago, it was it was all the, the cypherpunks who basically like had one political view. And if you didn't have that view, you weren't part of the movement. And then over the years, we've seen more and more types of people start to be folded in. And it, it, like the audience of who accepts, you know, blockchains wants to be involved in crypto has diversified, but I would say there still are some some ideological views on how people view decentralization and just what matters from the technology. But as it enters the mainstream, I just have a feeling some of those ideologies are going to change. Uh, like decentralization might be less important to the mainstream people who probably don't even want you to want you to tell them that there is a blockchain in your game. They just want mm -hmm. to own the thing, um, whatever, whatever that is. And so, yeah, how we think about using these technologies and testing new things and evolving with it. Um, I have a feeling it will start to become, we'll treat it more like how we have treated infrastructure in the past is just more of like an iterative, um, you know, testing new stuff versus like an ideological shift, which I feel like is more intense right now. I don't know if that makes, makes sense or if you agree, disagree, but that's sort of how I've seen it. I'm, I'm also curious just in terms of like developer tools, like it, it seems like, like David, you're the one making games, but I've heard that a lot of like the tools in place to, to actually make this stuff and embed with blockchains, it takes um, like the tool set isn't fully, built yet yeah th there's no unity for blockchain games just yet for instance yeah. but i mean e equally you know you can piece it together i culturally i think it seems to be the case that maybe for the reasons you just touched on aaron that people that are working on these things like to share the stuff they're doing there seems to be a good healthy crossover b between blockchain and open source and you, when we're talking in the office about the cool new things we're tools we're developing and then you know the end of the conversation and then we just share it on github you know, because that just feels the right thing to do in the space, which is great. I love it. You know, that's mm -hmm. how, how the world should work. But, uh, you know, so I think that maybe the speed at which tools get developed or technologies that support uh, these kind of games is going to go a bit quicker if people have the attitude that we should just share what we're doing. And it, it feels that way today. Maybe as things get a bit more corporate. I don't know, the kind of valuations. It feels kind of corporate already, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I hope that culture stays true so that uh, we have a sort of sharing and open source. I, I have a question. Because I, I see the the blockchain games are mainly like web-based or browser-based. What is holding us back to, to actually launch these on mobile and uh, publish these games to stores? This is like really bothering me <laughs> for some time yeah well the, you know the question the answer is nobody knows oh, okay right? so okay <laughs> okay good there's no unless it happened recently there's no stated policy from apple or mm -hmm. google about uh blockchain games um 
Not specifically. I mean, they don't like uh, There's various things that you could see would cross over with mm-hmm. what blockchain is, including, you know, if they get cut out of their 30% in some way, like by a third-party marketplace, then they're going to have an opinion okay. about that. So, um, But I think that's the concern, is there really isn't much of a policy yet, and therefore people are a little bit reticent to go all in mm-hmm. uh, in a world they can't control or isn't mm-hmm. particularly well-defined. It could well be that Apple's point of view in six months' time is, yeah, you know, I can see blockchain games are popular. You get to put them in the App Store, but you do need to use the Apple blockchain. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. completely conceivable. And what does that Don't mean? Don't say these things, David. You're scaring me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that your reaction is, I don't want that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like Facebook saying they're going to be building the metaverse. That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> exactly. I don't want that future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so I think uh, you will, in a year's time, you, this will be clearer than it is today and people mm-hmm. will have released mobile blockchain games, but it's just not clear at the moment mm-hmm. and that makes it difficult to form a business plan around. Mm-hmm. One, one more question for you guys. With all these insane valuations, are we in the dot-com bubble of the crypto gaming space, according to you? What do you think, Matei? Well, this is the, the golden era for, for rising money. <laughs> well, exactly. The, uh, I might build a, a, a gaming studio, but I need to, need to do it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but well, yeah. uh, I think the, the hype is evident that it's like we see that in all these, evalu- uh, these valuations. And uh, I think the COVID accelerated all the in- investments, IPOs and M&A's activities and all these um, raising money, as I said. Everybody wants to get in. Um, in terms of these valuations, I like to, to compare these to actually a football player market. We could see a player sold for like $30 million uh, from Real, Real Madrid to Chelsea like 10 years ago. And we consider that as a, as a huge sum of money. A few years ago, we saw Neymar going from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain for $270 million. So that's how the market changed. And, uh, well, mm. I guess the same is uh, happening here in, in gaming and uh, in, in blockchain as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Aaron? Um, I don't think we're at, like, the 2000, 2001 level yet. I just don't think there's enough out there um, to, like, there aren't enough games with tokens live and things that, that have all of the hype from just tons and tons of players to have those valuations. I think what we're seeing, you know, in private markets with fundraising, um, I don't think that's all that unique, to be honest. Like we see hype cycles with other technologies at different, different times. And how it normally plays out is that a lot of those investments don't pan out, but a handful do really, really well. The winners keep on winning in big ways and go on to redefine certain industries. And I still think that, you know, it probably is still more like to use the internet analogy, still maybe more like the late nineties than the early two thousands. But, um, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how the hype plays out as players start to get their hands on, on more games and actually get involved in, in those ecosystems. I could see a lot of over promising and under delivering (laughs) happening in these, Mm -hmm. in a lot of these communities, which that is what would create a larger bubble in my opinion, versus, you know, it just being contained to private markets. But uh, we'll see. 
Mm-hmm. You know, none of these valuations really seem to be based on revenue or EBIT. They're all um, all about what this blockchain space might become and whether or not that particular company stands a chance of being part in it. It feels like these investments are bets in the blockchain game rather than, sorry, the blockchain space rather than the companies themselves sometimes. Because mm-hmm. if you're pre-revenue or practically pre-revenue, then it's just a punt. A little yeah. bit on the on the team and the roadmap and the the part of the business they're in, it's uh, it's incredible to see those valuations. They really feel like about ten, maybe twenty x uh, what they would be if they were in the regular game space, yeah. something like exactly. that. Exactly. So, my advice to anyone thinking about or building a, a, a blockchain games company would be start raising soon. <laughs> okay. Because I I personally don't feel <laughs> there you go, Matei. Do it. <laughs> I personally don't feel like this is very sustainable, and and yeah. so I've been around, you know, the the crypto games, uh, no, the the crypto cycle, the the, you know, <laughs> I've seen all all that stuff, and I know that people have you know very short attention spans, and so if I look at companies like, uh, for example, Star Atlas, I think like they they're incredibly ambitious, like what they want to build, it's insane, um, but that stuff is going to take years, mm. multiple years. Um, and so they're planning on building, you know, small games and, and, and bringing out stuff on a regular basis. But I kind of feel like because of the short attention span of people, like there's, they're going to be uh, disappointed at some point. And I think this is going to happen for a lot of, of, a lot of blockchain games that are raising right now because, you know, building shit, it takes time. Um, and in the meantime, like to keep up this hype that is currently, you know, in, in the whole in the whole space, uh, is going to be very tough, and I think a lot of companies will struggle there. A lot of people are going to be disappointed. Uh, but as as Aaron said, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of you know some companies are going to come at this you know with an incredible game um, that is going to leverage all of these amazing mechanics, and um, yeah, we'll do good things in the future. Uh, well, same question back to you then, Nico. Is it a bubble or not? I think it is. Yeah, um, okay. and. I, I've tried to make, make, make this case before. So if I look at companies like Sorare, for example, I've looked at this business a while back already, and I think, I think specifically these types of companies are are are, are overvalued. Um, companies that are doing something that already exists in the regular space, and you know just slap blockchain on top of it. Um, and I, I'm more bullish on the potential of companies like. You know, Axie Infinity um, or other ones that you know use leverage this blockchain stack to do completely new things, some game and building games that we'd never seen before. Um, and so, from a personal point of view, I, I prefer to to look at these companies, and I think those will, um, in as a group, do better than than the ones you know who are just putting blockchain on something we already know and have seen. I remember I was working at Electronic Arts at. Um Around that time that Aaron's talking about, and we were really releasing some great games, sort of a uh, good time for EA. Mm-hmm. Nothing, these great games did nothing for the share price. I think Riccatello had just arrived, and he announced a strategy that he was going to, um, EA was going to do EA.com, and the share price just rocketed. I mean, there was nothing, <laughs> there was no plan, there was no product. It was just uh. a sentence, and you realize just how affected the markets are to things that they like the sound of. Mm. Well, the, you know, the sizzle is more interesting than sausage. My game was there for everyone to play, but they didn't care about it. It was a good game. They cared a lot about what .com might have been for EA sometime later. The sizzle is more interesting than the sausage. Yeah, yeah. I'm remembering that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a good yeah. one. I like it. 
but yeah, I'm not I'm not overly even if it is like a bubble in some sense, I'm not really that concerned because if you look at the the market cap of blockchain games, however you want to define that, it's still so tiny in comparison to just like the broader games landscape. Mm, even if yeah, there's sure. like a little blip there, um in the long run, like whoever the winners are that are being built right now, like they'll roll through whatever a bubble may look like and be totally fine on the other side. And I think mm. it's that long-term view that is important. And, you know, whether there's a bubble or not, again, just like don't focus on like the technology itself. Don't even focus on, I mean, you have to be aware of technology and market dynamics and all that kind of thing. But kind of going back to like, again, like the right North Star is just building awesome games that people would love to play. Um, and yeah. if you kind of maintain that North Star, you'll in the long run probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Nico got me worried, but Aaron, you calm me back down again. So okay. <laughs> I feel okay, like we should finish there. I'm good. I'm in a good place. Now. <laughs> All right, let's 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 round up this episode, uh, this part of the episode, this topic. Um, so what we've actually decided is this little piece of news. So as you've seen, we like talking about blockchain and games. It's an interesting topic. We're very excited about this. Um, uh, but we don't want this to take a major part of every roundtable uh, in the future. So uh, with this, uh, we're announcing that we're opening a Crypto Corner segment. Um, so it's going to be a Metacost Crypto Corner. It's going to be an episode dedicated to all things crypto and games. Uh, and we're basically it's a place for me to go nuts, you know, where I can just talk about whatever, shill whatever <laughs> project I'm into at that time. You know? Watch yourself, yeah. <laughs> uh, never financial advice. But anyway, so yeah, that's that's a plan. Um, so in the next weeks, uh, I'm going to be working on that. Uh, that doesn't mean that on the roundtables we won't be discussing important things anymore. Uh, but if, if, you're just in, if you're just here for the crypto stuff, then uh, that should, um, well, you should definitely check check that out. Nico, but don't, don't forget to explain a lot of things uh to people like uh, like a, like you're a five-year-old yeah yeah yeah. that's yeah, me yeah, the five-year-old yeah, in the crypto yeah, yeah. world that's okay. good okay perfect. all right so <laughs> that's that's really good we're, we're I'm, I'm gonna try and do that because i think that's that's necessary and i think a lot of our audience comes from the traditional games business and they also as we do see the opportunity and uh, i think it makes sense to to keep things simple all right cool then uh, move on to our next topic the rise of the creator economy so today, it uh, seems like everyone's a creator, you know, whether you write, make arts, you stream yourself playing video games, or even worse, you make podcasts, you can call, you can call, yourself, <laughs> you can call yourself a creator. Uh, so according to a study by SignalFire, there are now 50 million content creators out there, and that number is still growing rapidly. And so this growth goes hand in hand with the rise of the so-called creator economy. And so this term refers to a new economic model where creators can directly make money from their audience. And so with new technologies and new innovative business models, more and more normal people, just like us, are able to sustain themselves by creating content. Or at least they're you know, trying to get there. Um, and we can see a particular growth in the games space. We're next to you know the traditional game streaming. We're now seeing individuals make money from you know creating, building games on platforms like Roblox, or developing mods on platforms like Mod.io uh, or Overwolf. Um, so I'd like to to talk a bit more about this creator economy and and where you guys see this going. Um, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't think everyone will be a creator necessarily, and it you know the the creator economy is big and growing. You know, maybe it depends how you define it. It's probably about a hundred billion or so revenue market today. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a huge deal, and it makes a lot of sense why it is swiftly growing. I mean, for one, 
you know, as you alluded to, there are a growing number of platforms that creators can use to be successful. YouTube, Substack, you know, Roblox, OnlyFans, Twitch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the audiences and tool sets on those platforms to continue to grow and improve and the full stack of tools available to creators, you know, software tools, marketplace platforms, talent agencies, um, you name it, those are becoming increasingly robust as well. So it is true that there really never has been a better time to build an audience. Um, but just as importantly, kind of on like the, you know, to, to segment that, um, the range of business models creators can pursue is also widening. So being a creator doesn't mean anymore that you have to rely on ads or tips or sponsors anymore. You know, there's a growing number of subscription options available. Um, you know, not only are, are, you know, creators dropping merch, but they're turning their operations increasingly into full businesses, some of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, to bridge our conversation to crypto, that might play a role too. Creators can now drop NFTs um, and, and, you know, people can empower communities to have more, to have more ownership and be bought into the success of what certain creators are doing. So, um, you know, that isn't all entirely gaming specific, um, but at the, the same time that audiences are scaling, so are the business model opportunities. And in a world where there are, you know, billions of gamers um, and more types of games than ever before, um, it's going to, to like intersect. It already has, and it'll continue to um, more and more. And that's going to create enormous wealth and opportunity around the top creators. But it also means that the long tail of smaller creators able to make a living or, or supplement their income will continue to expand as well. Mm -hmm. David, how do you think about this, you know, creator economy as, as a game designer or games builder? Do you take this into account when, when building a, you know, your game studio? Yeah, it depends on the game, but uh, a great way to worked on a quiz game once where uh, Buzz, I think your sister played that, right, Nico? I played that against my sister <laughs> perfect, and she perfect, beat me. <laughs> anyway, so we, you know, we would do, um, I think it was about 5,000 questions in, in a game of Buzz and uh, a quiz game on PlayStation 2. And then uh, I think there was like a thousand questions in a Trivial Pursuit pack. Uh, and uh, so that felt like the right amount. We, we did a version on PS3 that allowed people to use to generate content. And we had like 60, 100,000 immediately. And now it was uh, on every topic imaginable. You know, whatever, you know, if you love the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or uh, painting things on side of buildings, I don't know, whatever it was, there was something for everybody. And it really changed the feel of that game. And I, I, I mean, that's just one example of how, you know, Roblox or Minecraft, they wouldn't be the same game unless, if it not for the fact they opened that out and let people play with it together and build things together. And that's uh, what though, that's what really fuels those games. So I mean, on the mobile side, I think that we saw a very different retention profile. If you know, this isn't the same as building, but if we get player games that people play together, then people tend to stick around longer because they enjoy hanging around with the people that they get to know, etc. So, you know, I certainly try and build that in if I can, but I don't, not necessarily to shoehorn it but it's a great people really respond to it for obvious reasons so if you can find a good way of getting a creator aspect into the game then i think that works for players and builds a better game mm -hmm. what are your uh, thoughts on this uh, subject Matei? yeah <clears throat> i want to go back to to what aaron said and, and split it into 
basically three layers because um, well, the first layer of the well, let's say let's call it st state of the creator economy, the first layer was the foundation of the platforms you mentioned there and uh, the YouTube's, inter Instagrams and Snaps and then Substacks and Roblox as well. So uh, these platforms help the creators to get discovered. But then the second layer is the monetization. That's what we already discussed, which was the really important part of the, the whole economy. And the third layer is basically, well, creators as business. And this, this is where we are at the moment. And uh, having developed the, the fandoms that follow the creators of the of, uh, of the platforms, you know, creators can actually become an, uh, businesses, right? And having multiple streams um, beyond ads, like, the merch you mentioned, Aaron, as well. And look, according to the rec to a recent survey, like kids nowadays would rather be a YouTube star than an astronaut. <laughs> I think that says, says says it all. And I think mm -hmm. also we should mention that you know TikTok just hit one billion users, so uh, and it was more fast, like faster than than Facebook, uh, which is definitely interesting. So I think well. The creator economy is just getting started. <laughs> there is an explosive growth. In games, I think, if you go back a long way, I think we're halfway through a journey here. Yeah. If you go all the way back when we first started making games, then it was very... The audience and the players were completely apart. Uh, they never yeah. spoke to each other. You know, they transacted going to electronic boutique or something, whatever it was at the time. And that was it. You know, there's no connection. And over time, that's been blurred, particularly with the internet and... New things have come around it, like uh, like events or magazines mm. or uh, user-generated content or um, streamers or esports, all, all of these things. And and now there seems to like be a blend of the two, right? You've got sure you have people making the games and you have the people playing the games, but there's all sorts of shades of grey in between. And I think that that will continue. Um, I think we're about halfway through or something. I see creators as Probably, if you were to draw a trend, it would be for players to get more involved with the game over time, to do to do more with it, rather than just you know where we started off, which is magazines just writing about it in a sort of read-only fashion. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to give my opinion here, if I look forward, let's say ten years, um, I feel like we'll see a way to distribute value. Um, very granularly, by which I mean, I think I, I can imagine tools being developed, for example, in a UGC world like Roblox, where someone mm -hmm. develops, let's say, actually, I have to admit, I've never played Roblox, but let's say someone makes a car, <laughs> you know, and then that that design of the car can then be replicated or used by other game developers in their in their game, you know, so people can drive cars around and it's a very good looking car, and so the creator of that car would then, for each usage of that car also, you know, be remunerated on a very granular level, but that would be, you know, fractions of cents. But if you build something that's, you know, used very widely, this can become significant. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? You, you agree? You, you see a word like that as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that makes sense. I, I, I wrote about Roblox maybe a month or two ago and, and master the meta. And one of my observations was that it's interesting to see, um, not just, you know, I mean, with Roblox in particular, we're seeing individuals, we're seeing like VC-backed teams, like what Jan is doing with Super Social, um, and we're seeing like interesting 
like collaborations with brands like Netflix and, and Gucci start to emerge. But interestingly, like almost like the equivalent of what views are on YouTube is like visits on Roblox. And those are like hitting the millions, starting to hit the tens of millions. Mm. And it wouldn't surprise me over time if like we start to see like the first like 100 million like like visit games and uh, you know who knows where it could go from there it kind of depends how how big roblox itself becomes but yeah i mean i think it makes sense that um these types of experiences they attract more people those experiences become more more relevant it's a pretty clear rising tide it's going to happen on roblox it's going to happen you know manticore is coming out we'll see how that goes um Mm. just saw that um Free Fire, the the battle royale game that's popular, um, you know, Southeast Asia, Latin America, um, India, um, they just unveiled a new like creation mode where pe- where players can build their own maps and do things there. And it wouldn't surprise me in like some of these like global hit games, we start to see uh, more platform creation tools that reward people, and you know, modding will play a role in that. However, that's integrated. So, yeah, I mean, I I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, Nico. But uh, you're talking about this idea of a a car that's been built outside of a game being used in a number of games. Um, Also, that could be the case. Not necessarily. I mean, it could be, you know, within Manticore that Manticore, I think, specifically focuses on the the usage of assets and the sharing of of different game assets. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there, you know, you could see like some person designing a car or a door or a dungeon or whatever and that assets being replicated and then they would share in the profits. Of yeah, every you know yeah. visit of Nico, that or using Nico, you have Unity Marketplace where you can buy assets. <laughs> there we go. So it's already there. Is that what you're saying? Or <laughs> do you know? Is there something different in get, buying a weapon in Fortnite and then moving it over to Minecraft? I always think that in that example, nobody would ever you know allow that. The companies wouldn't. But if it's been made by the player or is owned by the player, then I'd be more willing to allow those items to go in-game because we're trying to welcome players in and you want want to welcome them in with their stuff. I think in the last episode you were talking about using that as a marketing tool of bringing people from one game to another. Hey, all your stuff from this game still works in our game. Hmm. So maybe that will happen. that uh, I'd like to see that at the moment. There's still a bit of not enough cooperation between companies or not enough standards or something, but I'm, you know, I think that's more likely to happen than I first thought if, if you come at it from a different direction. Mm-hmm. I think it'll happen in microverses, like across Roblox, across Manticore, um, et cetera. I, I'm pretty bearish right now on the idea that it'll happen across games. I just, I think, um, <laughs> um, Raf Costner, he wrote a good post recently who was just saying like, hey, people have big dreams for the metaverse, but like the technical challenges um, are probably starker than you you realize. It's like if you think about taking like a weapon across games, like how do you like how do those games agree on what that weapon even is in the mm-hmm. first place? Like how it works in your inventory, how damage works, how it looks in the game, just like a million details. And he was saying like, even just making something like a cube and getting different engines and different teams to agree on how to define a cube in a game is incredibly, incredibly hard. And that's the easiest type of thing that you could get someone to agree on. So if you can't agree on what a cube is, how are you going to agree on what an avatar is, much less what that avatar is doing or capable of or owns? Um, So, you know, I think we might see pockets of it where... 
you know, they're like in the blockchain sphere, like you see maybe more like alliance <laughs> alliances form that mm-hmm. like teams start to support each other's assets. Um, or you see it, you know, be built more bottoms up where people buy like the NFTs first, like you see with loot and then people build around that. So it's interoperable from the beginning, but that's not like a big thing yet. That's like very experimental. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll see it happen in micro verses first before it's a, you know, a so-called metaverse phenomenon, what, which could what's be. A, what's a microverse? Oh yeah. I mean, I guess I would just define that as like, um, I mean, I don't really like the term metaverse, but like if you take like a metaverse and contain it into one platform, like like Roblox, like where you can build lots of different worlds, but it's oh, all okay. built on the same like underlying yeah. tech stack, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the Metacost guys come together and we define, you know, the standard for a gun, <laughs> right? So you have you ready to fire, you have your bullet velocity, your damage, et cetera, then yeah. maybe R- we, can, we can as well. start using that. There you go. Huh? Rarity yeah. as well. Yeah. Exactly. Mateo. I, I mean, I think I think standards need to be made. Like it's like a requirement if you want that dream to become reality. It's just getting people to agree on those standards when they're already using other technologies is really yeah. really challenging. Maybe it's possible, but it's challenging. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I see that we drifted quite far away from uh, you know the creator economy that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> One question for you guys, and then I'd also like maybe uh, the, the listeners can also chip in. Should we maybe launch like an NFT for the Metacost? Like we made like 100 OG uh, Metacost NFTs, and we sell those for nothing. They can freely mint it. Would that be cool? <laughs> sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll help. Okay, David, I, I mean, yeah, you, you know your shit. All right. I'm going to look <laughs> I, into this. this Nico, like I have no idea current. what you just said, but I mean. <laughs> All right. There we go. Listener, if you don't understand what we were talking about, it's okay. Just you know, join the Discord and we'll let you know, and then uh, we, can, we can get that started. <laughs> Once we All right. Let's, let's move on to the, the, today's bonus segments. So uh, I'd like for each of my panelists to give me a bold prediction about the creator space. Uh, Matej, you can start. Yeah, so uh, when I was um, doing the research for the creative uh, creator economy, I found um, the the article about Doctor Disrespect um, uh, creating a, a company and uh, partnering with uh, these mega YouTubers and uh, influencers to create a dream game. And uh, I still think like that's a very well not stupid but crazy idea. Uh, but even though. Well, I love a crazy idea, so my bold prediction is uh, they will actually create a game, a dream game, and it's going to be a massive hit. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. I like that. So as content, so Dr. Disrespect, one of the biggest streamers in the world right now, plays a lot of Call of Duty. I used to watch some of his videos because I used to play a lot of Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he said he's gonna he's building a AAA studio. He's actually hiring like a studio head and stuff. Yeah. So if you're interested in in, in that stuff, you can uh, you might, might be able to join him. Um, and so you're saying that the the game that he's gonna build together with other you know influencers is gonna be a big hit. Yeah, love it, <laughs> love it. I mean that I, honestly, super, like, super bold. All right. Yeah, it's very bold. Like, <laughs> that would surprise me. I like it. All right. Aaron, what's your bold prediction? I actually kind of want to give two, if you'll let me. Um, uh, please. Uh, the first one is, you know, right now, Twitch dominates in market share for live streaming. I think they have a little over 70% market share and develop markets for total hours watched and even higher market share for the like percent of streamers that use Twitch versus other platforms. But my prediction is that in five years, I think that Twitch's market share is going to fall well below 50% and YouTube gaming is going to eclipse them 
to dominate live streaming. I just think YouTube has so many more advantages. Um, and if you kind of layer their advantages, just having a larger audience, being a more of a one-stop shop for creators, having algorithmic recommendations to, to help discovery versus just like a list. Um, if you kind of pair that with just Twitch, you know, the COO just left, I think we'll see more executive turnover. Um, they've just not executed very well with handling a lot of issues. I think that probably in five to 10 years, um, Twitch is going to fade. Their relevance is going to fade in a pretty, pretty big way. So that would be, that, that's my guess. I don't know how bold that is. It feels somewhat bold. Um, and then my, my second one is that I think we will see a handful of traditional creators that might not be gaming first, but are involved in games become among the richest people in the world. Um, and this might, this probably won't happen like very soon, but you know, give it 10 years, 20 years. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if you see, um, someone like, like, uh, Mr. Beast, who's like one of the biggest YouTube creators. He just crossed 70 million subscribers. Um, yeah, I would guess someone like him is going to be among like the top, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like 50 richest people in the mm. world. Um, you know, he's not only is he successfully reinvesting what he's making, but he's also starting to build more businesses around his like massive audience. Like he has a digital restaurant tra- chain. He's expressed interest in owning esports, etc. But I think if you if you just look at like certain people are going to have larger audiences larger super engaged audiences than anyone else in the world and they're going to empire build on top of those audiences in really interesting ways and it's going to it's going to really really add up it's going to be a new new type of empire versus what we've seen in the past so that would be my my second prediction man i really like that one and i actually i think i fully agree i think one of the superpowers for the next 10 years is going to be building audiences um, I think that's going to be very, very important because you have these power laws, you know, the biggest, you know, creators and, and the most popular influences are going to, yeah, you know, gain everything or make, make by far the most. Cool. All right, David. I like these so far. I think Matei's smoking crack, but I'm enjoying it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, Dr. Disrespect is going to make a successful AAA gaming studio. Yes, that is. That's the boldest prediction I've heard. Um, I'm going to need a bit of help with mine, but there's something here. See what you think. So uh, TikTok is famously a platform for content creators. They have a stat where 83% of the people on their platform have, their, uh, have uploaded at least one video. And what do you think is, I'm trying to think what game has the biggest proportion of creators. Have you any idea? I, by the way, I don't know the answer. <laughs> uh, Minecraft, Roblox. Uh, Fortnite. But I would guess... Uh, what do you have, Matei? Fortnite, maybe. Yeah, no, maybe. Not yet. Not not anymore. Don't know. But mm. I guess... What? What is that? Like 10 or 20% on any of those games? Even the biggest. Like, what proportion of their players actually can contribute something to the game and we spent the last half hour talking about how important that is but such a mm. small proportion of people do you have mario maker where like one or two percent of people are uploading content so i'd love to i'd like to think that they we can reach for a bigger number evidently people if you if you give them the right opportunity we just seen in tiktok at least that the vast majority will at least upload something because it's simple and they want to do it or for whatever mm-hmm. other reason the same opportunity exists in games 
And I don't know what form that takes, but there's no reason as far as I can see that we shouldn't be able to get to 50-75%, something much, much bigger than what might be a 20% right now. So my bold prediction might be what? In two years, we'll have a game where 50% of people have contributed content to the game. Does that sound a bit weak? I think it could have gone stronger. I think, I think that's bold, honestly. I think one of the strengths of platforms like TikTok, like Instagram, is the fact, like, essentially, like 90% of what we do is basically virtue signaling. And I think that's something that Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok, and all of these other social platforms allow people to do. That's virtue signaling. You know, how, how rich they are, how good they look, how good they can dance. Um, I'm not convinced that we're able to have the same effect with games. Showing off how good you can design games. It might work for some people, but I don't think it's going to be 50%. Well, it might not be about how well you can design games. I think content can take many forms. It's not just about game design. So equally, I don't really know what that is today. But I do think that there's something there that gamers will contribute that other people enjoy that isn't video and something else related to the game uh, that's going to get that sort of participation level. It's two years. Have you heard of... Have you heard of um, Playbite, David? No, I haven't. It's um, uh, they just launched on the App Store recently. It's essentially the like the TikTok interface, but like mini games that like people create their own little like mini games, kind of like two D games, mm-hmm. or that you could literally like swipe through, like things, comment on them, um, and the algorithm I think learns the type of thing that you like. It's pretty basic today, but it literally is like they're trying to be like like TikTok times games. Uh-huh. And so I think um, I just like UGC, however we talk about it, that will, that will, um, we'll start to see that intersect with a lot of what just people have learned from, from social. I don't know. I don't know how Playbite yeah. will. Well, concern, it might be, I, um, I know another game in that space in it. I think they're sort of working on the duet idea, which is obviously popular. That feels like gameplay, singing along with something, karaoke style, trying to get a high score, beating somebody else. That's still content. It's not content in you know levels of a game or anything, but it's still what fuels a game like that. So uh, I, I think that's possible. Cool. All right. Some great predictions. I like them. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much uh, for being on. For your insights, your critical criticism of the blockchain space, it's probably good to hear that once in a while as well uh, because we're hyping people up so much. Um, so thank you, David, Matei, and Aaron for being on the episode. Listener, thank you for listening in. Um, as we already said, if you like talking about games, if you like learning about games, join our Discord uh, and also subscribe to the Navic Master the Meta newsletter. This was the, was the Metacast, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Cheers. Cheers.